Please turn with me to the book of Luke. The sermon passage this morning comes from the book of Luke, chapter 2. Luke, chapter 2, verses 41 through 52. We've been going through the book of Luke as I've been preaching. We are skipping the birth narrative of Jesus for now. We will come back to it later on in the year. Luke chapter 2, verses 41 through 52. Following the reading of God's word, we will sing the Gloria Patri, which is printed in your bulletin. Please stand for the reading of God's holy word. Hear the word of the Lord. Every year, his parents went to Jerusalem for the feast of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the feast according to the custom. After the feast was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, They went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching for me? He asked. Didn't you know that I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God. And men. This is God's word. Praise be to God. The passage that we just read this morning is very unique. It is the only passage, this chapter is the only chapter in all of the gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that we have of Jesus as a boy of the age of 12. It's the only account that we have. Very unique. Luke has an agenda. Of course, his entire agenda is that you and I would believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, but he has an agenda here. First, these are the three things that I would like us to consider. First, he wants you to be amazed at who Jesus is. Second, he wants you to submit your plans and your life to him. And third, he wants you, like Mary, to treasure him above all else. First, he wants you to be amazed. Let me tell you the reason that I'm amazed at Jesus. If I were to ask you, how many people do you know who have claimed to be God throughout history? How many people do you know? I doubt that many of you could name more than two or three people. I bet many of you probably couldn't name more than one person. The reason is that Jesus not only claimed to be divine, but that he backed it up with a life full of grace and miracles and glory. Everyone else who claimed to be divine in history was either written off as crazy, a liar, nobody believed him, but Jesus Christ was the only one who claimed to be God and also, even before his resurrection, persuaded 
thousands of people that that were the case, that that were true. And of course, he's persuaded millions upon millions of people that it were true. It's one of the reasons I'm amazed. But there are a few reasons here that we are to be amazed at Jesus. Let me set the scene for you. It's the Feast of Passover. This would have been a seven, the Feast of Unleavened Bread was seven days. The Feast of Passover was the first day of that seven-day period laid out for us in Leviticus chapter 23, verses 5 and 6. It was the custom during that day for boys who were 13 years old to enter into full privilege of the synagogue. When they were 12, it was customary for them to travel to Jerusalem with their fathers. The father would instruct the 12-year-old boy on the meaning of the temple sacrifices, the meaning of what the temple was and what it stood for. And also, he would describe the Passover, that God had taken his people with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm out of bondage in Egypt. Here, we're told that not only Joseph goes, but in verse 41, it says that Mary also goes. It means that they came from a very, they were a very God-fearing family. Mary wasn't required to go, but she did. But then something very uncustomary happens here. Quite amazing. Jesus is left behind. He, when they find him, verses 46 and 47 He's sitting among the teachers of the temple. This would have been the PhDs, the scholars of the Mosaic law in that day and age. At 12 years old, we're told he's 12 years old in this passage, he's listening to them, he's asking them questions. It sounds like he's really going toe-to-toe with people who are far more overtly speaking educated, far more advanced in years. Quite amazing. Was Jesus exercising his divine omniscience at this point? I don't think we have to believe that. I don't think that that's what this teaches. There are other non-inspired writings of the Bible, such as the Gospel of Thomas. There's an Arabic gospel that teach that Jesus was instructing people in scientific mysteries and knowledge. We don't have any indication of that. But what we do have an indication of, what is taught here, is that this young boy Jesus... 12 years old, was a very intelligent, precocious boy who knew his scriptures backwards and forward. Quite amazing. Secondly, you should be amazed by what he says. These are the very first recorded words in all of the Bible of Jesus. The very first recorded words that we have. Coming here in verse 49, he says, Why were you searching for me? Don't you know? I should be. I must be in my father's house. That might not sound like very unique, but in the Old Testament, it was very rare for God to be referred to as father. He was referred to as father in the Old Testament about 14 times, but he was never referred to as my father in the Old Testament. Typically, if a, someone would address God as Father, they would say, Our Father, and referring to the nation. But not Jesus. Jesus says, My Father, and would pray to my Father 60 times in the gospel. He would use that expression. Here's what Phil Riken has said Phil Riken says, 
Even men like Moses and David, who enjoyed special intimacy with God, never dared to claim that he was their father. But Jesus said it as if it were the most natural thing in the world. If the temple was God's house, then it was his father's house, because he knew that God was his father. Quite striking at this young age that Jesus knew who he was. Quite amazing. It's also amazing that we have here a teaching of the humanity of Jesus, because it says in verse 51 that Jesus went down to Nazareth and was obedient to his parents, and in verse 52 that he grew, he grew in wisdom and stature, in favor with God and men. That is striking. Jesus was fully divine and fully human, two natures united inseparably into one person. Here's what Stephen Nichols has, has written. That babe lying in a manger was and is truly God and truly man, two natures and one person. That is frighteningly close, saying we have a God that is close to us. Truly God, he became truly man. These are but short and rather straightforward words, but they're also awful words, sober words, comforting words. We have a God in the Lord Jesus Christ who took on flesh and dwelled with us. Aren't you amazed by that? You may be here today and you have heard about Jesus all of your life, but have you ever really been amazed by him? Have you ever really been astonished by not only what he claims, but by who, who he is and what he's done? I encourage you, maybe you've never really read your Bible for yourself to discover who Jesus is. I encourage you to do so. Because the amazement that you will have from Jesus is more amazing than anything you will find in this world. Secondly, Luke wants us to submit our plans to him. He wants us to be amazed by Jesus, but he wants us also to submit our plans to Jesus. Here, we have a train wreck of expectations. It's very interesting. If anyone claimed to have authority over Jesus in his earthly life, besides, of course, his heavenly father, you might have thought, well, Mary and Joseph have authority over Jesus. But we have something unusual. This would have been every parent's worst nightmare to lose their, their child. It was a very communal culture, so it's understandable that they wouldn't have always had their eyes on Jesus. But they travel home for a day before they realize that Jesus is still, he's, he's lost. They don't know where he is. They travel back to Jerusalem, and in verse 46, it says that, it took three days for them to find him. They would have certainly been anxious. I wonder what they were thinking. Is he okay? Has he gotten enough to eat? Did someone take him? Maybe even is he alive? Been terrifying. It's understandable then that Mary would ask or say to him, almost a reprimand, why have you treated us like this? <laughs> Why have you treated us like this? Have you ever, kids, have you ever had someone, I know I did, has your mom ever said, your father and I, 
I got that growing up. It was never a good thing. And here we have that. Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Literally, it is suffering pain we are searching for you. Suffering pain. So she accuses him, in my opinion, of wrongdoing. Isn't that the natural tendency when things don't go our way to accuse God of wrongdoing? Was Jesus being disobedient? Some people think so. But John 8, 46 and Hebrews 4, 15, I won't quote them, tell us that Jesus, of course, never sinned. Phil, excuse me, Kent Hughes says that Jesus unknowingly caused his parents distress. But I'm of the opinion that whether Jesus knew what he was, that he was causing them distress or not, I'm of the opinion that he had at that moment no immediate moral obligation to travel with his parents. There was something else going on here. His heavenly Father was teaching him something in this passage. I don't believe that he was in any way guilty of wrongdoing. When I was a young boy, uh, half a dozen times or so, my parents would take us to the Rose Parade. I'm not a huge fan of the Rose Parade. I thought that we were just going to go to the parade. We went by Walmart. We would go by Walmart and get large amounts of candy and soda and blow pops. I thought we were just going to eat them and watch the parade, but my parents had a very different idea. We would go and we would sell uh, what we bought from the store. And after, at the end of the day, of course, I was a little troubled. I was distressed by this. I was in the, the heat. I would actually take a wagon and go up and down and sell things to people. But at the end of the day, we had a mountain of money. And I could go out and buy, my dad gave me a portion of this money, and I could go and buy candy if I wanted to buy it. At that moment, I realized that my plans as a young boy were very different than my father's plans. And my father's plans were quite superior to my own plans. They were a great, it was a great plan. But isn't it the case, isn't it the natural tendency for you and I when things don't go our way, to accuse God of, of wrongdoing. Why are you treating me like this, Father? I've invested a relationship in you. Of course, if anybody had invested a relationship in Jesus, it was Mary and Joseph. Why have you been treating us like this? It's the natural tendency, isn't it? To put ourselves in the place of God and expect that he will serve us, he will serve our plans, he will delight us in the way that we deserve to be delighted and feel we should be treated. But that's not Jesus' agenda. We are to submit to God's agenda. We don't have any claim or right over him. Here's the third thing that Luke wants for us. Luke wants for us to treasure him. Now, to treasure Jesus above all else, to be amazed by him, to submit to him, but also to treasure him. This is a very interesting narrative because it says that they did not understand what Jesus was saying to them. In verse 50, Jesus says, didn't you know that I have to be in my father's house? But they don't understand. Nonetheless, it says in the very next verse that his mother treasured all these things in her heart. I think that's a model, a great model for us. We don't understand everything that the Lord is doing in our life. 
but we are called to treasure Jesus above all else. Who do you treasure in your life, if I were to ask you? I know for most of us, if we're married, we would say our wife or our husband. In a relationship, a marriage relationship, isn't it the case that when you get married, you don't exactly know how much that person treasures you? You unite yourself together with them, you walk the aisle with them, you say vows, but of course you know that it's only going to be over time that you will really discover not only who they are, but whether or not they will stand by you in thick and thin. Their true colors will come out. Do they really value you? Do they treasure you? And of course, if there's a painful divorce, someone will certainly think twice about committing themselves again to another person. They want to know, will this person love me? And of course, if anyone were to die for someone, it would only be after years and years and years of knowing they treasure you and you treasure them. But what I find to be astonishing in this passage and in the rest of the Bible is that here is Jesus, and he's submitting to his his earthly mother and father. I believe what's happening here, of course, this is a little bit of speculation that it's hinted at in the, in the commentaries, that Jesus is learning who he is. He's growing in wisdom. But think about this. As, he, as he's 12 years old and he's going around with Joseph, Joseph is telling him, here's the temple, here are the great stones. But perhaps his heavenly father is telling him at this moment, Jesus, you're the new temple, You are the place where God and man will meet. It is through you that people will be reconciled to me. But it's it's only going to come at a cost. It's going to come at a cost. Perhaps as he's walking the streets of Jerusalem, perhaps his father is saying to him, this is where one day you are going to carry a cross. Or perhaps as Joseph is teaching him about the Passover, And he's telling him about the lamb that was sacrificed. Perhaps his heavenly father is saying, Jesus, you're the lamb that is going to be sacrificed for the sins of the world, for the sins of my people. That's how greatly I treasure my people. That's how greatly I value them. That you are going to be submissive to the point of death, even death on a cross. This is the reason for which I sent you into the world. If that is what's going on, certainly it would be understandable, if that's what's going on, that Jesus would stay there for a matter of days, perhaps even a week. Understandable, if, he's, if that is what's happening, that he would process that and internalize that, and it would take some time. But the beauty of what we have in the Gospels is that we see before we even have a relationship with him. We see the extent to which Jesus Christ has treasured you and I. In our human relationships, that's never the case. But here we get to see on the pages of Scripture how far he would go to establish a relationship with us. This is how much he has treasured you. He has submitted 
The king of the universe would humble himself, deny himself, empty himself, and even after recognizing who he is and what he came to do, would submit himself even to his earthly authorities for you and for me. Do you treasure Jesus? He has treasured you at the cost of his own life. He would say, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. I encourage you, as Mary did, even though you don't understand everything about what he's up to in your life, even if you don't understand everything about God's will going on in your life, that you would learn to treasure him, that you would learn to be amazed by him and submit your life to him because he gave his life for you. Let's pray. Father God, We praise you for the life and the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. We praise you that even at this early age, at the age of 12, he was cognizant that you were his father, that he had been sent here with a mission and purpose, and that purpose would be to give his life as a ransom for many. We confess before you that we treasure the things of this world, so much more than we treasure Christ. We have sinned in not valuing him and not being amazed by him and and having our heart be enthralled by other things. We pray that we would learn submission to you, for your plans are higher than our plans. We pray that you would foster in us a love for the Lord Jesus Christ, a chief love that far surpasses anything of this world, that through that love, that you would create a fortress of protection around us so that our souls would delight and find joy in the only place that you created us to have joy in. We thank you for the meeting of God and man in the person of Jesus Christ. May him be honored and glorified in our life. And may the gospel of good news of the forgiveness of sins through him be proclaimed not only here but throughout the world. In Jesus' name, amen.